Get your Bibles out. We're in Ephesians chapter 5. You didn't get dismissed with the children. You're an adult. It's bad news. Just because you're an adult doesn't mean you have to get old. Jesus said, unless you become like little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So don't be childish, but have childlike trust and faith. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. We had fun with this with uh, first service. Powerful message, but continuing in our series on Blueprint for Christian Conduct. I want you to know our conduct as Christian matters. We are representatives and ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Come on, did you hear me when I said that? You are a representative and an ambassador of Jesus Christ. In the military, if you're an officer, you can be brought up on charges for conduct unbecoming of an officer. Imagine if you could bring charges up on Christians that didn't act according to God's conduct code. <laughs> Some of us would be in Levensworth. Amen? So conduct matters. Why? Because the world looks at people who call themselves Christians and they're judging what they think about Jesus by the way we conduct ourselves. So it's serious, amen? But at the same time, it is a joy to be come more like Christ and let the world see the light of the life that's in us and what Jesus accomplished in our lives. So this blueprint here that Paul gives is not an indictment so much as a, a guide for us, a blueprint for us to live in a way that points to the Lord. So let's thank God for the word. I'm going to read Ephesians uh, 1 through 11. And then we're going to jump into our text. Father, I thank you this morning for the word. I thank you for the people of God that are here today in the house of God. We thank you that we can worship together. What a joy it is uh, when we come together and worship you, Lord. Let the word come alive to us. Holy Spirit, quicken our minds and our hearts that we would be able to understand and comprehend and even apply the depth of what you have for us this morning. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And the church said... Amen. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them as you formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists of goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. And so there's our text. Verse 4 is our target this morning. It says, And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. So as we continue in the blueprint here for Christian conduct, we've been told, first of all, to be imitators of God. 
I want you to remember the whole point of the drill is not for God to build a better sinner when he saves us. It's not to make a better version of Rick. It's to be Rick be put aside so that Jesus can come through. Amen. John said, I must decrease and he must increase, right? That's the point. So we're to be imitators of God. We pointed out that no one has ever seen God, but he's revealed to us in the scriptures and he's revealed to us through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so how do we imitate the Father? We imitate Jesus. We imitate the the attributes of God that are revealed to us in the Old Testament. Be imitators of God. And then we're told to do everything by love. And we know that, you know, if you've ever had someone do something for you that you really appreciated, but they did it in a a grouchy, negative way or or with strings attached, if they did it outside of love, you know, it's a bad experience, right? You know, someone's helping you out, but it's going to cost you. And you're like, maybe I should have just not done this. Everything we do has to be done out of love. Then Paul warns us not to be sexually immoral or impure or greedy. Sexual immorality is rampant in our generation. If you didn't hear that message, I encourage you to go online, go on YouTube, find it, listen to it, get it in your spirit. We live in a perverse generation, yet God calls us to come out and be separate from that. He also attached greediness to that. Greediness is an ugly thing. If you've ever known a greedy person, they bring out the worst in humanity, amen? The only proof that you and I have conquered greed is that we're givers, amen? And so why do we give at church? Well, because the Lord says so and because it plants seeds for a harvest into our own life. But we give to prove that we've conquered greed. And listen, church, it's not just money. That's the easiest thing to give. It's our time and our talent and our love for others, amen? We need each other, but we have to be available. So greed is something that Paul spoke about here as conduct unbecoming. Now Paul continues with the blueprint for Christian conduct, and he addresses another flashpoint of impurity, and that's the things that come out of our mouths. Talk about a place where impurity can flow. The mouth is an issue. I remember growing up, there was a kid who had such a big mouth, his parents used to call him mouth. They would yell at the Lord, hey, mouth. And I'd be like, wow. And he, when I was growing up, if you had a big mouth, you, your parents would say, you got trouble. You got mouth trouble. Anybody have mouth trouble growing up? Anybody lying? But the mouth is a problem. And we've all said things that we wish we could take back. Anybody married? Anybody ever said something? First, my wife gets hysterical. Then she gets historical. She remembers everything. You remember what? No, I don't remember. Please direct any further messages to my lawyer. But our tongues, our mouths, they cause trouble for us. We say things we can't take back. Many times our mouths are our own worst enemy. We create problems and drama for ourselves. We say one thing to one person and another thing to other, and then they compare notes, and it's a problem. So Proverbs contrasts the mouth of a fool with the mouth of a wise person. Listen to what Proverbs says. Proverbs 10, 14, wise men store up knowledge, but with the mouth of the foolish, ruin is at hand. Proverbs 14.3, in the mouth of the foolish is a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise will protect him. Proverbs 15.2, the tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools spouts folly. Have you ever been around someone who is just a water fountain of folly? (laughs) Spouting folly. I mean, just saying 
crazy stuff, stupid stuff, mean stuff, just a waterfall. <laughs> Proverbs 18.6, a fool's lips bring strife and his mouth calls for a beating. Proverbs 18.7, a fool's mouth is his ruin and his lips are the snare of his soul. This is one of my favorite, Proverbs 17.28, even a fool when he keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's considered prudent. Think about that. If you have mouth trouble, the best thing to do is to be quiet. If you ever been in, in a situation where, you know, you wanted to talk, but your brain was saying, no, 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 no. You know, keeping our mouths closed at times is the most spiritual thing we can do. Scripture is very clear that it's the untamed tongue that is the problem with our mouths. The reason we're having mouth problems is because our tongue is out of control. Now, when any time you have a problem with your mouth, you've got to look at your heart. Because the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Did you ever hear someone say something and then they would go, ooh, where did that come from? Oh, I don't know how that slipped out. Well, sometimes the goalie in our mouth lets one get by. But it's the heart that needs to be dealt with, amen? If I'm angry, if I'm bitter, if I got an ax to grind, if I have a bad attitude, it's in my heart, and sometimes it's going to slip out of my mouth. Scripture's clear, the untamed tongue is the problem with the mouth. James 3, 5 through 8 tells us everything we need to know about the tongue. Listen to what James says. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire? Then, and the tongue is a fire, and the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Wow. For every species of beast and bird and reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Wow. James is going to the extreme of here, showing what a tongue that's untamed is like. Now, certainly when your tongue is tamed, what comes out of your mouth is blessing, not cursing. It's, it's encouraging. You can encourage someone with your mouth. You can encourage and lift people up. You can build people up. You can speak the word of life and see people's souls changed. Our mouths in, in many ways are neutral. What's going to come out is determined by what's in our heart. Will it be fresh water or bitter water? But the tongue can be a very powerful evil set on fire by hell. What does that mean? Have you ever talked to someone, maybe they were attacking you or maybe they were uh, trying to, you know, point out a weakness in you or just being really vile with their mouths? Have you ever talked to someone and it was almost like you could tell it wasn't them talking? It was the devil himself. Scotty, I've had people talk to me where it wasn't even them. They weren't even smart enough to put those words next to each other. I knew it was the devil speaking through them to me. Come on. That tongue, either the Holy Spirit controls it or it's out of control. Having said all this, let's look at verse 4. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. Now, Paul warns us about three types of speech that are unfitting, unbecoming for the believer. And the first one is filthy speech. Now, what's Paul getting at here when he's talking about filthy speech? He's talking about cursing. Now, 
there are none of us here that are not guilty of saying words we shouldn't say. So let's just get rid of all the holiness facade. Come on, don't, don't even look. All of us have said stuff we should not have said. And don't even act like it was years ago. It was on the way to church for some of us. You know, preachers who are smart take separate cars to church so they don't fight with their family. But cursing is an issue, and the words of our mouth are an issue for all of us. No matter where we are in that, we, we can, you know, use a tune-up on our mouths. Now listen, saying a bad word in the moment of anger or pain, you know when you proverbially mash your thumb with the hammer, or come on, you crash your car, and something slips out that was in there. Hello, we get that, right? We can understand that, right? It's still not right, but we get it. But here's the problem. It's not in a moment of pain. It's not in a moment of crisis or, you know, fear. But it's in common conversation today that our world says the most crude and lewd things in common conversation that it's almost impossible not to hear profanity all day long. In the world, you go out there and people use profanity like punctuation the creativity of how they fit so many bad words in one sentence sometimes is mind-boggling. It's not the hammer on the thumb. It's not the traffic accident. It's just in our TV, in our, in our movies, in the workplace. It's in the office. It's on the street. People use profanity freely in common conversation. It's stunning. It used to be that you'd have to join the Marine Corps to hear some of those words or the Navy, but now, you know, whether it's a person in the military or a construction worker or a person in a $2 suit, I mean a $2,000 suit. I don't know. I've seen a person in a $2 suit. But I'll never forget sitting in the guy's office, the CEO of a major company that I worked for. This guy was up the chain, making a quarter of a million dollars 30 years ago. And he just sat there, Scotty, in a $2,000 suit, dropping the F-bomb in the presence of me a warehouse worker who happened to also be a Christian, and I just thought to myself, you look good, but you sound shabby. You know, our vocabulary needs to be a little bit better. But it didn't matter if the person was, you know, the, the, what we consider the lowest in society or the upper crust. They are all using profanity. And it's just an amazing thing to think that, you know, it used to be that we would shield our children from hearing certain words. Now they're all over TV and they say them and some parents think it's cute. It's not cute. Our teenagers use profanity. I, I remember when I was growing up, if you dared curse in front of your parents, you were dead with a capital D. Come on, do you remember a Christmas story? Ralphie said the queen mother of dirty words. He got life boy. The equivalent of waterboarding in the 50s. But now, children say things that are just so unseemly. Teenagers, women, it, you, ladies, it used to be that men would say, no, don't curse, there's ladies present. Feminism has not served our ladies well. Now ladies curse a blue streak that make a, a Marine Corps drill sergeant blush. I'm going to tell you a little story about that in a minute. But boy, profanity across the board is a universal thing. It's part of our culture. And you might say, well, you know, it's just the world we live in, Pastor. It's common. It's accepted. But it's still not okay for us as believers. 
We're to come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. We shouldn't sound like the world. We shouldn't speak like the world. We shouldn't curse like the world. Half an amen. You say, where did you get that from? Ephesians 4.29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will be grace to those who hear. That word unwholesome where it says no unwholesome word proceeding out of your mouth. If you look at that New Testament word in the Greek, the word is translated rotten. I want you to think about two-week-old milk sitting out on the counter rotten. That's what's coming out of people's mouth. Let no rotten, unwholesome word come out of your mouth. Now listen to Colossians 3.8. But now you must also rid yourself of all things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Now I want you to see a common thread in those two scriptures. They're, they're impossible to argue with the fact that God doesn't want his people cursing. Amen. Saints shouldn't swear. And so it says here, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. Did you hear the let no? Let no. And then Colossians 3 says that what? We must rid ourselves, what? Of filthy language from your, our lips. So it's let no and rid yourself. And I want you to see the common thread. We've got to decide to take control over our mouths. We've got to let no rottenness come out. We have got to decide to rid ourselves of filthy language. We can't just pray, oh, God, you know, help me to just put a guard over my lips. Listen, we have to make the choice by a decision of our will to say, I want to be holy, and I want my speech to be holy. I guess you guys like to curse. This is a tough crowd. So I remember... My wife, you know, and I go into the beach one time, and we were on the beach, and here comes a group of young ladies, and, you know, we're sitting there, and I don't even know if my wife was paying attention, but they came, and these five or six young teenage girls set their blanket up, and, you know, and I thought, well, isn't this nice, a group of young ladies here coming in? You know, not to mention that their swimsuits could be made with the cotton that you find in the top of an aspirin bottle, but, you know... Parents, stop letting your kids go out half naked, would you please? Okay? It's not cute. It's not funny. It's not appropriate. But I'm like, all right, young ladies here. So I thought, you know, well, let's just listen to what they talk about. They began to set up their spot, lit up cigarettes, and begin to curse a blue streak. And I thought, my goodness, I'd hate to see what the boys were like. Because I remember when I was a kid, we, when we discovered cursing as little kids, boy, we used to go, and like some of you are looking at me, oh, yeah, I was a little guy, and we didn't even know what the words meant, but we used to say them because we felt like bigger people, we felt like the big kids. And we're saying, oh, I remember in Rhinebeck Central School with my friends swinging on the swings there, just saying words, I'm still not even sure what some of them meant, but... I, the people who are looking at me like, you're holy, man. I'm going to put a stinking camera in your garage or something. <laughs> Play it for the whole church. But you know, from top to bottom, it's a cursing generation. From top to bottom, it's everywhere, man. If, if you work in certain fields, man, you work in construction or something. I remember I had to learn, I had to learn what the curse words meant I needed to do when I was in, you know, framing and stuff. 
It's just the world we live in, but still, it's not becoming for the saints. You and I need to take control over what comes out of our mouths. You and I need to govern our own speech. No one can make us say anything. Choose to be holy. Choose to rid yourself of what's plaguing our generation. It's a cursing generation. Let no unwholesome, rotten word come out of your mouth. Ask the Lord to help you with it. Ask the Holy Spirit to be an umpire of your soul and ask him to bring conviction when the words are wrong. Now, we get it that certain words we should never say and we say them anyway. Well, this morning, the license is revoked that we gave to ourselves. And the Holy Spirit's reminding us that we should be holy. Now, there are certain people who say, well, I would never say this word or I would never say that word. But all foul language is sin, and we can agree on that. But let's talk about the worst curse words of all. The worst curse words of all are not the ones you hear at a construction site or a, you know, at a, at a hockey game. No, the worst curse words of all are taking the Lord's name in vain. In fact, I've got to be honest with you. I've heard all kinds of language. I don't judge people according to it. If they're lost, I expect them to speak a certain way. I, I don't get all holy and legalistic and don't say that word in front of me that I've said before. But when I hear someone take the Lord's name in vain, it really hurts my heart. You say, are you offended by that? I'm offended by that. Listen, God's name is so holy that the Jews would hardly say it or write it. Yet us Gentiles have lost the reverence for the holiness of God's name. Exodus 27 says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God for the, Lord will not, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Did you hear that? God says, don't, don't use my name as a curse word. Don't misuse my name. Because why? If you do, you won't be held guiltless. There is, a, there is retribution attached to blaspheming the name of God. God's name is holy. And for those of us who say, well, you know, I would never say this word or that word or this word. Do, do you walk around saying, oh, my God, or gosh, or all kinds of variations of that? What do you think that is? It's the worst of cursing. Well, I'd never say this word, but are you taking the Lord's name in vain? Examine your speech. I know this is tough, but it's the word of God. And it puts a demand on all of us. Jesus' name is not profanity. When people take the name of Jesus in vain, it hurts my heart. And I hope it hurts yours too. Because if it doesn't, then you need to find out what's in your heart. Because at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. He has the name above every name. His name is not a curse word. How about blaspheming the Holy Spirit? Blaspheming the Holy Spirit is the only sin the Bible says is unforgivable. Do you really want to say things about the Holy Spirit or the move of the Holy Spirit that are blasphemous? Do you really want to go there? I think of Christians who judge other Christians who say, oh, well, that's speaking in tongues. That's the devil. Be careful what you call the devil. Because when you call the move of the Holy Spirit the devil, you're on the edge. Paul didn't put two chapters in the New Testament all about speaking in tongues, so we shouldn't do it. He told us how to do it, when to do it, when not to do it. Hello? Grow up and get your theology right, amen? Well, I've had bad teaching. Well, get over it. Get yourself a Bible and read it. Let the Holy Spirit lead you into all truth. 
But don't call things that are the Holy Spirit that, that things of the move of God. Hey, sometimes it's not of God, and sometimes it's not. We're to judge the Spirit, but we better be careful not to blaspheme the Spirit. Now, I'm not trying to put fear in you. Uh, you say, oh, I hope I didn't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. If you're thinking that, you haven't. Because once you do, your heart becomes so hard that you don't even care that you've done it. Trust me on that today. God's name is to be reverenced. Jesus' name is not profanity. Don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Be very careful what you say about the things of the Spirit. Cursing is something that you and I have to remove from our lives. You and I have to rid ourselves of it and put a guard over our mouths because it's conduct unbecoming of a saint. Number two, the text talks about silly or foolish talk. And as we look at this here, it might be hard to discern exactly what that is. And there should be no filthiness. Oh, I get filthy speech. We get it. It's cursing. And silly talk or coarse jesting. Let's talk about silly talk. I believe a good way to understand what silly or foolish talk is, is that we would see it as all the sarcastic, reckless, passive-aggressive things we hear and say all day long. And I'm going to show you what silly talk is by giving you examples. You know, examples of reckless speech uh, and sarcasm. Now, listen, I, th I know sar sarcasm can be funny sometimes when you're pointing things out in a certain way and, and you're teasing someone who you love. My wife and I tease each other all the time, amen? It's like stand-up comedy in our house constantly. So we're going to get to this. We're, it's not that we're supposed to be, you know, just walking around like zombies, not smiling, be careful of what we laugh at. But there's reckless speech. There's sarcastic, reckless speech. And here are some examples of it. Have you ever heard somebody say, what are you, an idiot? Is that a rhetorical question? <laughs> Am I surrounded by morons here? I've heard my boss, bosses say that growing up as a young man. Sometimes the answer was yes. How about this? If you don't knock it out, I'm going to come in there and strangle you both. Come on, parents with multiple children. If you don't stop nagging me, I'm going to jump off the nearest bridge. I've heard people say that one. If you do that again, I'm going to kill you. Come on. Heard that, said that? I didn't mean it. I was just being sarcastic. I was just being, it's silly talk. If you do that again, if you don't stop, if you don't knock it off, what are you, an idiot? These are things that we say that are really, as we get closer to the Lord, we need to tune up what comes out of our mouths. I've heard people say foolish things like, God hates me. Trying to witness to somebody, trying to tell them about the forgiveness of Jesus. God hates me. Wow. I've heard people say, might as well go to hell. All my friends are going to be there. That's reckless speech. Could you imagine winding up in hell having said that and seeing your friends there being tormented with you? It's quiet. It's reckless speech. I've heard all kinds of people say all kinds of things about people in traffic. And that's reckless speech. Dr. Dobson took his little grandchild out for a ride, and he got home, and Grandma said, what did you see on your ride? And the kid said, we saw three idiots and four morons. <laughs> it's amazing what we'll call people in traffic. And I know some people can't drive, but we can't be good at everything. Reckless speech, reckless words, foolish talking, horrible things that parents say to children. Horrible things that children say to parents. Reckless speech. 
reckless things that husbands and wives say to each other. God help us. So that's reckless speech. What about passive-aggressive speech? Passive-aggressive speech is this. Saying mean things or aggressive things in a hidden way so that as to make your point without getting called out over it. So I'm going to say something to you that's mean-spirited, but I'm going to say it in a way that you can't call me on it. That's passive-aggressive speech. And people do it all the time. And they say things and they cloak them. They cloak their anger and their manipulation or their bad intentions in seemingly benign speech. And they need to be delivered from foolish talking. See, passive-aggressive speech goes like this. You say something mean-spirited and then you quickly say, oh, I was just kidding. Have you met people like that? They'll say the meanest stuff, the stuff that really hurts you, you know, something about the way you look or, or your station in life or something, and then they'll say, oh, I'm just kidding. So now you can't even call them on it. Why? It's passive aggressive. It's, they took their shot, but they cloaked themselves from getting the hit back. If you do that, stop it. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you need to confront somebody over something, do it in love. Passive-aggressive speech is, is foolish talking, and we need to be delivered from it. People who say things and say, I'm just kidding, i, I got to be honest with you, they're usually not just kidding. Those who excessively mock others, that's passive-aggressive. They judge others. They complain or gossip about others without ceasing. If you've ever met people who complain and gossip and point out other people's flaws, that's reckless talking. It's passive-aggressive. You know that person in the office gets up and walks out of the room and a coworker starts tearing them apart and trying to get you to listen to it? Guess what they're going to do when you walk out? Oh, yeah, they're making fun of you, too. So if you're yucking it up with them, just remember when you walk out of the room, did you see that dress? Did you see that makeup? Did you see those earrings? Oh, yeah. Help us, Lord. Sarcasm, reckless speech, passive-aggressive speech, mocking, judging, complaining, gossiping. It's got to stop. Gossip has to stop. Complaining has to stop. Do you know what made God the angriest in the Old Testament? It wasn't even sin, it was complaining, which is sin. But you would think, oh, you know, the children of Israel in the desert, they did some really bad sins. Yeah, but you know when they really got God stoked and angry is when they complained. We don't have this and we don't have that. And back in Egypt, we had this and then and then. Oh, you want, you want meat? You want meat to eat? I'll give you meat to eat. No more manna. Here's quail. Quail burgers, quail hot dogs, quail casserole, quail, quail, quail. So it's coming out of your ears. Do you want to complain some more? You pick the menu from now on, Lord. Garden salad is fine. Passive-aggressive speech, reckless speech. Help us, Lord. Deliver us from it. Set a guard over our mouths. Oh, it's so easy for all of us to do this. But God, help us to choose holiness. Paul continues here. We get it about the cursing. Maybe the, the foolish talk and the silly talk was a little bit more hard to pick up, but we've got it now. And then the text moves on, and it talks about coarse jesting. Now, remember when 
I was saved in high school and some of my friends that were born again. One of my buddies led his brother to the Lord, his older brother to the Lord. And he, he, uh, he began to read the Bible. And one day we were sitting all together and, and the, the fellow and I were joking around. And the brother said, oh, there's no court jesting. I read it in the Bible. Well, it's not court jesting like that guy who puts on that thing on his head and entertains the king. It's not court jesting. It's coarse jesting. And coarse jesting is this. It's foul-mouthed, lewd, sexually suggestive humor. And God says it has no place in the lives of believers. Coarse jesting has to go. You and I know what our world calls comedy. Hello. It's gotten worse and worse and worse and worse. And I like comedy, and there's only three comedians that I, I found that I can listen to that are clean. I even went to some comedy shows and thought, well, they were clean on TV, and then when you got there, you realized they edited it. Fool me once, right? And so, you know, what the world calls funny, what the world calls stand-up, what the world calls, you know, late-night TV, and, and all of these things, you know, they're... They are so crude and they're so lewd and they're so, everything's a sexual innuendo and, and it's really a stumbling block to the people of God. Now, you say, come on, pastor, can't we even joke around? And absolutely we can joke around. Like, I, I think a gift of, the, of a sense of humor is a wonderful gift from God. Now everybody thinks it's a trap. I'm not saying anything. We can joke around, but we can't joke around like the world jokes around. You know, the Bible says, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. We, we should show the world what real humor is, what real, you know, like, and, and I listen, I love comedy. I, I love so many things about it because, you know, the way they, they're so creative in the way they, the brilliance that they find topics that we can all relate to. We've all heard comedy where we go, yes, you know, somebody talking about the dentist, and we're like, that's creative, it's brilliant. And I appreciate that. I appreciate the delivery and, and how they deliver as a, as a pastor, as a speaker. I want to be interesting to you, amen? I don't want to stand here like a Pez dispenser and just, ah, da, da. I try to make it so, you know, obviously, <laughs> you know, it's spiced with humor and, and that's good. I remember we brought a family to church one time in Rochester when we were living up there, and the pastor was speaking, and this couple came with their little kids, and the pastor's speaking, and the congregation's laughing, and the little kid blurts out, what is this, a comedy show? <laughs> right in the middle of church, and I said to Pastor Bob, sometimes it's hard to tell, you know, he was, so humor is important, and I love the brilliance of finding topics that people can relate to. I love the art of delivery. I love the word choice phraseology to stir up people's thoughts. Yet, I got to be honest with you, I can hardly listen to anything that the world puts out there that it calls comedy anymore. It's just not funny. It's vulgar. And you and I shouldn't just go, oh, well, that's just the way it is. I want to laugh too. No, you and I should categorically reject it. And yes, Absolutely, we can joke around. And yes, absolutely, God has a sense of humor. Do you believe that today? You know, what's your image of the Father? Some crusty old guy sitting on a throne with a big beard, just always stoic all the time? I believe God has a sense of humor. Let's cue up that picture. This is why I believe God has a sense of humor. The God of heaven and earth made that. That's a duckbill platypus. 
Come on, man, look at that thing. It's got web feet with claws. It's got a duck's bill. It's got a beaver's tail. It's like the angels came up with a box of spare parts and go, I dare you. And God said, watch this. Duckbill platypus. Come on. That's proof that God has a sense of humor. You know how else I know how God has a sense of humor? Listen to 1 Samuel 5, 6. Hang on now. But the hand of the Lord was heavy upon Ashdod. Ashdod was a, a large Philistine city. You remember the Philistines were a, they were a perennial pain in the butt to Israel. God's hand was heavy upon them in Ashdod, and he destroyed them and smote them with emrods, even Ashdod and the coast thereof. Now, you know what an emrod is? It's a hemorrhoid. God gave Israel's enemies hemorrhoids. That's funny. I don't care who you are. If you don't like it, you could just get out. God said, you want to be a pain in the butt to my people? Watch this. Come on. He gave them hemorrhoids. You know, I know God has a sense of humor because he uses people like us for his kingdom glory. Come on, just take a look around here this morning. Serious, I want you to look around. Stop looking at me and look around. Look what God picked. Look what God picked. He's got a sense of humor. You say, well, you got a scripture for that? I got two. First Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That sounds good. You are a peculiar people. That you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Yeah, we're strange. We're different. We're not the cream of the crop. But God picked us up. And just like with the duck-billed platypus, he said, watch this. Watch what I can do with this. You don't have much to work with, God. Yeah, but watch this. 1 Corinthians 1.27 but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. God chose the peculiar people, the weak people, the people that the world said, ah, you're just a bunch of fools. He took the rejects and he pulled them out of the muck and the mire and he made them trophies of his grace. <laughs> God routinely uses people that the world has dismissed as unusable. You say, how do you know how that God has a sense of humor? Because, church, I can hear it in a baby's laughter. Them little babies come out, man, and you don't have to know. Teach them now, little baby, this is humor, and when it's funny, you should respond like this. Ha, 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 ha. I remember when my guys were little and stuff, and, you know, when their eyes get clear enough to see how goofy their parents look, you know, and then you begin to tease them or tickle them or something, and they laugh. A baby's laughter is so pure. Children laughing, two little to toddlers just killing themselves laughing over something. Come on, that's refreshing to my soul. Adults, man, you guys wear me out. You know, adults, is always problems and problems. And I'm offended and your sermon was too long and you, you said this. <sighs> two little kids laughing, man, just melts my heart. You see, where did that come from? God put it in them. Because God has a sense of humor. God is the one who created laughter. Well, let me say something about the laughter of the world. The laughter of the world is a counterfeit. This comedy that is so lewd and crude and sexually explicit, it's really counterfeit joy. 
Well, you know, I want to go to a club and, you know, drink a little bit and laugh at a few jokes. Yeah, well, that's fake. And it's empty. But you know what? The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And God put laughter in our souls. He put it in the hearts of babies. He's a good God. But for his people, we should drive cursing far from our lips. We need to drive silly talk out of our lives and not be passive aggressive in our speech. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. We need to avoid coarse jesting and categorically refuse to listen to it. You know, there's good, wholesome, clean stuff out there, and, and you and I should, uh, you know, we should focus on that and we should exemplify that. But our mouths can be trouble. And we've all said things that we wish we would have never said. Thank God for the blood of the Lamb that washes us white as snow. But let's speak differently in the days to come. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, I just thank you this morning for reminding us of this and all of us, no matter where we're at, whether we have the cleanest mouths or the dirtiest mouths, we could all use a tune-up. And God, I just pray that we would reverence you, reverence your name. And Father, we would choose holiness to rid ourselves of speech that is unbecoming for a Christian. Father, to find the joy and the laughter and the humor in life that you put there, but not to defile ourselves with unholy things that only leave us more soiled by the world. Father, I pray all this in Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Give him praise this morning. Amen.